1: Okay, Ben, please stop doing the Bill Cosby impression. We have a show to do.
2: <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we are going to be talking a lot of Bill Cosby today. Monroe Anderson, Jimmy Coogan. Uh, we'll be talking Jim Coogan. But come on, D. Dennis does a great Bill Cosby imitation. Now he's going to get shy, and he won't do it. Come on, D. Try, <laughs> just for just let people hear your Bill Cosby imitation. Go How's on. it going, Monroe? All right. You
1: see, I, you, you get, uh, I was in jail. Now I got to get out. I was having fun. Theo, all right, your your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, June 30th is moments away. But before we do this, let's thank our sponsors, sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor sponsors, as well as the Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, all that's in there, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky and our colleague Maya Duke-Masova chicagoreader.com and to become a binhead, head chicagoreader.com forward slash jarovsky for more information on how you can help this program it is Wednesday June 30th and live from my apartment and his attic this is the Ben Jarofsky show Today on the program, legendary Chicago journalist Monroe Anderson and the return of the legal eagle, J.C. Jimmy Coogan. And now your host, not a legal (laughs) eagle, Chicago Raider columnist
2: Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Someone in New York City Wednesday. And here's why. Total breakdown in New York City. Hear the alarms going off. That's the sound of alarms blaring as New Yorkers wake up this morning to discover that the powers that be in their fair city messed up a big time. First question I know you have. Ben, you're a podcaster in Chicago. Why do you care about New York City? Excellent question. And the answer is, I'm utterly obsessed with politics. That's why, duh. It's like following the NBA playoffs. My beloved Bulls were eliminated from the playoffs, but does that mean I stopped watching basketball? Come on, people. Back to New York City, they had a primary election about a week or two ago. I can't remember. 14 people ran. Isn't that funny how so many people say, being mayor, hmm, I wouldn't want that job in a million years. That's what people generally say when you ask them our opinion about what Lori Lightfoot's doing. They don't really want to come out and say anything, so they just go, "Ah, being mayor, that's not a job I would want in a million years. All right, everybody asked you if you wanted the job. Ask your opinion about Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Everybody's always ducking and dodging. And having said all that, 14 people ran for mayor of New York. Just saying, ladies and gentlemen, how many people ran in Chicago last time? For a job that nobody wants, a lot of people want it. Anyway, so uh, as I said, uh, the election was about a week or so ago, but they still haven't stopped counting the votes. Why, you say? Good question, Madam Mayor. It's because they have ranked choice voting, and it's messing everything up. Here comes that part of the story where I have to explain rank choice voting. You know, I just want to point out, that there's a huge advantage that Twitter has over old school reporters like myself and Monroe, who's standing by. Twitter never feels explained, never feels compelled to explain anything. Twitter's attitude is that if you're reading my dumbass tweets, you're clued into whatever I'm talking about. So if I was tweeting this up, I would say RCV mess up in New York City, panic in Detroit. Totally unrelated song. I don't know why it popped in my mind. Anyway, and everyone in Twitter land would know what RCV meant. Except for me, I'd be like, RCV? Does that mean Royal Crown Cola? No, that would be RCC. This is RCV. And then I would Google RCV. The way I had to Google SMH. First time I saw it, some random millennial sent me a text saying about the Bulls going, Bulls bulls blew that one last night, SMH. And I'm like, SMH? What's that? (laughs) Oh, man, it's a shame getting old Monroe. Anyway, your RCV is ranked choice voting. And that's where you don't just vote for your first choice. Oh, no, you rank your choices one through five. And so far, voting would be number one, Maya Wiley. Number two, Eric Adams. Number three, Diane Morales. Number four, Catherine Garcia. And number five, Scott Stringer. Let's pause to appreciate how impressive that is that I can recite five candidates from an election held in New York City. I don't believe there's anybody out there in the city of Chicago who could do that. So it's either really impressive or it's a cry for help. Now to the mess up on election day, Eric Adams was up by nine percentage points. So it looked like he would be the winner. But no, yesterday, the New York City Board of Elections reported that with the second votes counted from some of the losing candidates, Catherine Garcia had surged into second place. It was neck and neck between the Adams. And Garcia it was like a horse race. And all the reporters in New York City were like, oh, my God, here they come spinning around the track pause to identify these people. Just think about how different New York City is in Chicago. Eric Adams is a police officer. Catherine Garcia was in charge of streets and sanitation in New York. Just think about that. The person in charge of streets and sands is very close to being mayor of New York City. I can't imagine all the years of streets and sands commissioners that I've known about in the city of Chicago, any one of them being elected mayor of the city. We are just such a different city than New York. And a police officer I'm going to bring Monroe Anderson in a little while. Ask him, there's no police officer. Oh, no, Big Mac McCarthy. He wanted to be mayor of the city of Chicago. He only he got like 3% of the votes. Eric Adams looks like he may be the next mayor of New York City, unless it's the streets and sanitation commissioner. Wait, hold it. Breaking news. I'll read you the latest update from the New York Times, which is breathlessly keeping all of us up to date. Yesterday, the board ran the algorithm on elections, posted the results, and then following hours of comment from mayoral candidates and questions from reporters, abruptly took them down from the website, acknowledging on Twitter, where else Twitter, it had accidentally plumped up the tally with 135,000 erroneous test voters. Say what? Erroneous test voters. Tell me more. Tell me more. New York Times. Back to the story. The board had created about one hundred and thirty five thousand dummy ballots to test the ranked choice voting software being used in several of the elections on primary day, including the Democratic primary for mayor. Those dummy ballots had votes for candidates on them. end quote. Think about that, ladies and gentlemen, one hundred and thirty five thousand dummy ballots. That's a lot of dummy ballots. Why so many dummy ballots? I mean, couldn't you just run a test with like one hundred? And by the way, there's no truth to the rumor that in Chicago, a dummy ballot is one cast for Mayor Lori Lightfoot in the last election. Got a little chuckle out of Monroe on that one. Anyway, apologize for that last joke. It wasn't even funny. Back to the New York Times story. On Tuesday, the board ran a preliminary rank choice tally that was supposed to show that the state of the race pending the counting of more than 100,000 absentee ballots, but someone neglected to remove the dummy ballots from the system, so the tally included both the dummy ballots and the more than 800,000 actual ballots cast by voters. You following that, ladies and gentlemen? This falls under the category. What the beep? Someone neglected to remove the dummy ballots, so they got counted too? Man, someone's in a heck of a lot of trouble. Let's pause to reflect upon the New York Times creative choice of words, as in someone neglected to remove the ballots. Good word, someone. Very anonymous. It's unclear. I seriously doubt there's actually an employee at the New York City Board of Elections named someone who's in charge of dummy ballots. No, someone is actually somebody. And my guess is right now they're looking for that special somebody they can blame this on. <laughs> I'm hoping whoever it is got union backing because otherwise he or she's in a heck of a lot of trouble. You know, when I watch this screw up in New York City, I have two thoughts. My first thought is, Oh, New York, New York, you're just giving more ammunition to MAGA and Trump and all those people who say you can't trust elections. I know Monroe was thinking the same thing. You're just giving them more ammunition to somehow or other correlate what went down in New York city where someone counted the dummy ballots with the real ballots. You're going to correlate that with some made up fictitious fraud in quotes that allegedly occurred in where Michigan, Florida, Georgia, Arizona, anywhere Donald Trump lost. Really irritates me, New Yorkers. And then on the other hand, I got to go, well, at least there's a city worse than Chicago. We got a great show today, everybody. Monroe Anderson is sitting by. He's, He's all ready to talk about New York City. Bill Cosby, that's the Monroe broke that story to me when I got out of the dentist's office today. Donald Trump, we can't forget Donnie Trump. Uh, And we may even talk about the congressional election in Ohio. That's an interesting one. Uh, The the congressional election in Ohio, uh, where um, basically uh, Jim Clyburn is uh, waging a fight against the Bernie uh, Epton forces. That's Bernie Epton. Jesus, my old Monroe. (laughs) The Bernie Sanders forces uh, Nina Turner running against uh, Chantel Brown. So we'll be talking about that. And then Jim Coogan will come on later, and we'll do a lot of Trump uh, talk, a lot of... uh, legal talk about is Donnie Trump about to go to jail. So plenty of political talk ahead. Let's start with Monroe Monroe. Welcome back. Young man. Got to put your, uh,
3: there we go. There we go. Good (laughs) afternoon.
2: Yes. Good afternoon. I listen, you were the one, as I said, I was, I had come out of the dentist's office and you broke the news. Bill Cosby, uh, America's dad uh, will be out of prison. I think he's still in prison. As I speak
3: Monroe, we're talking about, minutes to hours before he'll be free wow so uh what do i want to talk about first
2: new york city the total meltdown in new york or, or bill cosby let's go with new york city first since i just got finished talking about it um monroe what just what a joke i mean i and like i said I follow New York politics. I know you don't follow it as closely as I do, but you follow it a little bit. I follow New York politics. I always think it's like a precursor of Chicago, you know, like Bill de Blasio ran as a lefty or a progressive. That's what they called them in the day back in 2013. Mm-hmm. So I had the sense that some Chicago would come along with a de Blasio style campaign.
3: And Tony, well, would- of course we had we had the black mayor before New York.
2: That is true the great Harold Washington, the greatest mayor of the city of Chicago ever had was elected in 1983. And the first black mayor of the city of New York was not elected until I want to say 1989. I'm doing this without notes, Monroe. And I'm not looking at the
3: 88 or 89.
2: uh, I'm going to go with 89. Uh, And his name was David Dinkins. And then New Yorkers dumbasses that they are got so scared of having a black guy mayor that they turned around and elected Rudy Giuliani. Heck of a job, New Yorkers.
3: America's mayor. America's mayor and America's dad. Good combination. Maybe they'll share a prison cell together sometime. Giuliani. Now, well, Bill, no. Bill may, Cosby may be free. Maybe. yes, He's so free ju- in New York, but there are other jurisdictions that may um, give him a call. Give him a ring.
2: All right. Well, let's. Since you mentioned, let's go to Bill. Let's start with Bill Cosby instead. I. I, No, no, no. no, We could do. We we, are. Let's go back to New York. I'm all over the map because I died to talk about uh, both of them. Uh, But New York City. What a freaking mess up Monroe. They counted the dummy ballots. And it's so funny, the New York Times story just cracked me up. It goes, someone at the Board of Elections counted the ba- dummy ballots. Someone. <laughs> Who is,
3: someone? You know, is well, somebody, someone? Somebody's not much better. Because um, <laughs> if you recall, Senator Warnock said that what was going on in Georgia was that uh, they had some issue with somebody not wanting some other bodies not to vote <laughs> yes so so somebody is this if somebody's <laughs> ruling the day somebody went from georgia to new york screwed things <laughs> yeah. up in new york uh, and somebody to be riding through new york on a horse yelling the ninjas are coming the ninjas <laughs> are coming
2: so by the way, uh, did you follow it along? I think I may have asked you this last week and you ducked and dodged. Uh, did you follow it closely enough to have an affiliation with any of the candidates or were you just, Yeah,
3: I told you I like Maya because she, like was Maya. A, she was a regular on MSNBC.
2: And who would your second choice have been?
3: Um, probably Yang. Wow. <laughs> this would be different. I, yeah. So, I, I I
2: mean the lefties who come on the show give me a lot of grief uh for my affinity for Eric Adams. Uh I don't know, it's just something about Eric Adams. Well like, oh, let's give him a shot.
3: And yeah, now he may be okay, except he's a he's a cop. <laughs> and he, he has a cop. police mentality. Well, you
2: know, here I am going to defend police officers. You know, there were a lot of police officers who surrounded Harold Washington when he ran in 1983 that were his protectors. And they were Chicago police officers, Monroe Anderson.
3: Yes. So, you know. And I knew a lot of them because I spent a lot of time with them, as I did with the mayor. And they were very protective of, of um, Harold. They were very protective of Sawyer, but they were cops. They had a police mentality.
2: What do you mean by a police mentality?
3: Get, man, this is an example. One of the one of, one of Sawyer's security people who, who had worked for Harold also. we were in Arkansas at sawyer's mother's house and one of the cops with you know we we're sitting in the living room wasn't a lot of seats one of the cops got up to go to the bathroom i sat down he came back and demanded that i give him, my, him back his seat or he threatened to kick my you know what mm. you know and th- and this is with the mayor in the room too. You know, I mean, and it, and it was not an idle threat because yeah. he 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 used to um, tease me because I didn't have any scars on my face, and that that was indi- indicative of my living too soft a life or something.
2: Wow. See, it's funny you should say that because Muhammad Ali used to brag about how pretty he was, yeah. and, you know, and he was a boxer. It doesn't right. get tougher than that, but then right. he was so fast. So, you know
3: what I mean? He, like, well, this, no well, could, this, you know, the thing, like like I was said, he was a cop. He wasn't a a, a, a brain surgeon <laughs> or a nuclear scientist. And he was a cop. And so he had man. a cop's mentality, you know, but, you know, you know, it's sort of like having a Doberman or a, a Rottweiler, uh, If they're your Rottweiler, then they're okay. But if they're somebody else's, uh-oh.
2: Yeah, by the way, uh, you can't use brain surgeon anymore because Donald Trump's the head of, uh, the Secretary of Housing for Donald Trump. It was literally a brain surgeon. You know what I'm
3: talking about. (laughs) You know, I I think I told you, I had him on my TV show back in the day.
2: Who? Who'd you have on the TV show?
3: Uh, Uncle Ben. He was on your TV show? Yes, on Common Ground. I had him on as a young, brilliant surgeon, brain surgeon.
2: Yeah.
3: I, I wish I could find the tape. It may have been destroyed.
2: But so I'm still no, looking you, for it. You, uh, you were sort of in awe of him a little bit back then.
3: No, I wasn't in awe of him. But, <laughs> because he was pretty boring. He was as boring as he is now. But, but But he
2: didn't have politics, and that was the thing. You know, he didn't
3: have yeah. politics. No, and the thing is uh, – I was in awe of the fact that he, he was doing what he was doing at the time, which is unheard of.
2: Hmm. All right. We went far afield there uh, with that tangent. Uh, but uh, anyway, so yeah, I, I, um I don't. I. I just. My attitude is let's see where Eric Adams could go. But I would have. I voted for. I would have voted uh, for Wiley number one, uh, and for the dumbest of all reasons because AOC endorsed her. Uh, We'll get into this. This is like uh, what's going down in Ohio, and it's uh, it's it's kind of a a ideological identity politics that we all fall prey to at one level or another, Monroe. Uh, And you have pointed this out many times. We'll get back to this. Uh, James Clyburn is probably as responsible as any man in america for the nomination of joe biden as a democratic presidential candidate and of course his ultimate victory uh, because he gave him the blessed endorsement you've talked about this so many times when you were on the show back in uh 2019 and 2020 and that's what enabled uh, Biden to pick up some much needed votes, black votes over uh, Bernie Sanders. So identity politics to endorsements is a very real thing. And I probably would have voted with Wiley because AOC uh, endorsed her and not knowing anything else, I mean, that's better than your explanation, which you liked seeing her on uh, MSNBC, which is which actually worse. <laughs> no,
3: no, 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 no. It was hearing what she had to say. She oh, was a an okay. <laughs> It wasn't was just looking at her.
2: <laughs> okay, it was deeper than that. I apologize. So, what a monumental screw up, Monroe. Yes. I mean, to count the dummy ballots, you know, I heard the New York times editorial and apparently uh, the New York board of elections is just a horror show. It's a patronage pit. Uh, they've been screwing things up in New York for years. Uh, but I, that is just mind boggling. I, I mean, I think Chicago is bad, With you know, down through the years, votes suddenly being discovered in the basement of city hall to, to settle all elections, that kind of thing. But what was like, a hundred thousand dummy ballots.
3: You well, i see New York being the Empire State is um, trying to out-dummy the Republicans, and, and and they did they did they took a good shot at it this time. So uh, so. so the the ninja ballot counters um, <laughs> are, are wrapping it up in Arizona right now. A New York ballot. <laughs> uh,
2: so you're, what, what's your take on where uh, MAGA is going to go with this? The, the the breakdown in New York, uh, the snafu oh, it's, in it's, New York. It's, Where's it's MAGA proof, going with
3: it? It's proof that um, ballots are stolen, that the Democrats are stealing ballots. And they tried to do it this time, but they got caught. That's where MAGA is going with this.
2: Do you think it will have any credibility?
3: No, no, they have no credibility, and they wait, wait, wait. Let me rephrase that: they will have no credibility with common sense Americans, but with the, the crazy MAGA crowd, oh yes, this is this is icing on the cake.
2: Yeah, and just imagine if Trump had his uh, Twitter feed. You know, no, he'd no,
3: be no, out. That was the most. Patriotic thing <laughs> that Twitter could have ever yeah. have, had done because they've taken his his megaphone away from him. Yeah. So he's still lying, but he can't he he can't lie um, day in and day out. Sometimes a hundred times a day. Yeah. I, you so know, it's a good thing.
2: And and, and uh, it's funny because um, my good government friends. Uh, And a lot of my lefties, who are big fans of ranked choice voting, I'm not a huge fan of it. uh, Are now wailing, you know, that this is going to undercut the the appeal of ranked choice voting. And um,
3: I mean, see, I like it on paper in theory. It sounds like a good idea to me, although it is it's too cumbersome and and uh, um, complicated, probably. Well, you know, I was
2: driving the, it, it, it's a funny thing. I, when I was, I was uh, listening actually listened to NPR, which is astounding for me. And I was with well, some expert, some election expert was saying, explaining rank choice voting. He goes, well, it's kind of complicated. And then when he was done explaining it, he goes, well, really it's not complicated at all. And you know, but they, he was speaking to a NPR crowd, which is of course, a very intelligent crowd uh, smarter than just average people. But, um, I I, I'm not so certain that the uh, like, like the actual rank choice voting process is relatively straightforward and easy, but in this day and age, Monroe when um, our election system is under siege, when it's already, when Republicans are trying to destroy it effectively by taking away any kind of objective overseers of it and making uh, the the key judges in so many of these states lackeys of Donald Trump. Uh, and when the machinery and the technology is so controversial and possibly open to being hacked and, and uh, misused and stuff, I don't know, just suddenly adding one more complication to the process just seems like too much of a reach. It's like everybody's just too smart for their own good. What's your thoughts on
3: this? Like I said, in theory, I like it. Since since, since it blew up this time, I'm not sure. But in theory, what it does is it broadens the support of whoever wins the election. Because if if the winner is not a, is is the winner because they uh, people voted for them and then uh, them as number two if they didn't vote for them that broadens at least two groups of people uh, wanted them yeah and and so that's you know that cuts down on the divisions to some extent and and that would be a good thing and if it forces It forces politicians to be less divisive and ugly in their pitch because they not only need, for example, if we had that in our next presidential election, then um, even if Trump ran, if he, he remained to be Trump, which he will, then he will only have the MAGA people and whoever else is running against him would have well it's it's a it's i mean sorry let me let me because this is a party thing i guess or no it's it's, it's, no, it's you could it's, do it
2: in a general election you could yeah, do it either do one it general, you could do it any yeah. Yeah. in other yeah. words if you have ranked choice voting in a presidential election then all third party candidates uh and you you would the 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 point in a, a presidential election is you want uh you don't have to you can win without getting 50 percent of the vote we've discovered that Right. Uh, you know we discovered that the hard way uh, in, in over the last 20 years twice right uh, and the, the benefit yeah,
3: no, the in, in 2000 um, people who voted if, if we had that system in place um, those who who, who 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 voted for um, unsafe at any <laughs> at any speed <laughs> unsafe at any speed there are those who would have been counted. With Gore, if Gore would have been president,
2: presuming they voted for, uh, presuming they voted for Gore in second, uh, that the the assumption is yeah. that anybody who voted for, uh, okay, here's the choice. I'm taking you back in time, ladies and gentlemen. The, the year was 2000. The Democrat was Al Gore. The Republican was George Bush. Ralph Nader was one, and Patrick Buchanan. Let's not forget him right. running from the right, uh, right, and Ralph Nader running from the left. The assumption that uh, centrist Dems always makes, and that the people who voted for Um, uh, Nader would have otherwise voted for Gore in that election had they been given a choice and I have never been certain that that would be the case knowing lefties the way I know lefties they may not have voted for anybody uh, even if you gave them rank choice like here's a challenge for you Monroe in 2019 the Merrill's race you had a vote Ranked choice vote. You got a five. Come up with five. Okay. Now, knowing you, you probably would have had Tony Bruckwinkle and Lori Lightfoot. Tell me three others that you would have voted for. Would you have voted for Gary Big Mac McCarthy? No. Right. No. Would you have voted for Paul? Uh, <laughs> I'm Mayor Daly's old flunky, Valus. No. Would you vote for Billy Daly, Mayor Daly's brother? No. No.
3: Okay. You no. will say what I'm saying. So, so, we still have the same outcome.
2: Yeah. Right. So, it's like I said, everybody's so smart. Sometimes people just, as Dennis would say, just too smart. I'm smart. You're no, not. Right.
3: You know, they've, 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 they've used that type of voting in some European countries to some success. Yeah.
2: But we ain't know.
3: Europe. Yeah, right. <laughs> I got breaking news. Well, oh, we're not um, at the rate we're going, we're not going to be America either. So, yeah. Uh,
2: so yeah, you're right. The uh, MAGA will be pounding this. Fox will be really just making a big deal out of it. And again, trying to convince somebody, uh, com- co- convince people that somehow or other, what went down in New York over the last, what's been going down for the last week is correlated to the insanity that they're inventing in Arizona. And uh, good, you know, uh, I think it'll work with some folks. All right, let's switch to that Ohio election, that congressional election. Uh, yeah. we'll, We'll get get into Bill Cosby in a little bit. I found this fascinating. I sent you the article. So, okay, everybody, uh, uh, Marsha Fudge was the congresswoman from a Cleveland based uh, congressional district in Ohio. She stepped down to take a position uh, in the Biden administration and uh, Nina Turner who is a hero uh, to a lot of the people who are listening right now, Monroe, uh, one of Bernie uh, Sanders key uh, allies uh, and strategists is running very much as a, a Bernie Sanders type candidate and running from the left, obviously a man named Chantel Brown uh, is more of the centrist in the race. Uh, and he has been endorsed very enthusiastically by James Claiborne, uh, the uh, Congressman from South Carolina schlepping all the way from South Carolina uh, the way AOC, is schlepping all the way from New York to make an endorsement. Identity politics uh, very much alive in the Democratic Party. What's your general thoughts about this showdown? Chantel Brown endorsed by Clyburn versus uh, Nina Turner endorsed by AOC.
3: Uh, What we have is a generational battle going on. Um, Clyburn was um, AOC. 40 years ago, 50, doing the civil rights movement, 50 years ago. He was, a, he was a civil rights activist. I think he was, if memory serves me right, he was with SNCC also. Um, so he was the, uh, or he was a Nina Turner, however you want to look at it. He was a radical back then. What has happened over the years is he has he, he has gone on the inside, he was on the outside, Throwing bricks in. Now he's on the inside, and you don't want. when you're on the inside, you don't want any bricks coming at you. So um, that's the difference. And the times have changed. And you know, uh, Nina. Nina is basically a female H. Rap Brown. <laughs> you know, she talks a lot of smack, and she doesn't say it nicely, uh, but, but she gets to the point. And um, I suspect that um, she's ahead in the polls because a lot of young people like that. They want that. And so basically, that's what we have going on.
2: Well, uh, first of all, uh, the fact that young people may like her generally does not help somebody in, in in an election because, as studies have shown, older people vote at a greater rate
3: than younger people except there you know there are exceptions you know, you look at buffalo where you got a bona fide got a bona fide socialist yes india walton yes all no, right exactly so no times are changing
2: i would have voted for her in a heartbeat all right uh but it it's interesting the article uh to your point he uh was um dismissive of what he called sloganeering from the left right, uh, and he compared the rhetoric of today's uh, activists defund the police to the rhetoric of the 60s burn baby burn which is right. straight out of A. brown right. and i'm like wow I, when i read that monroe i'm like i felt i felt the same way you did i'm like james claiborne what are you saying you would have been doing burn baby burn right. back in the 60s right you know. right
3: right right exactly but now he's you know, we, we, we forget, you know, it's like um, with women, for example, uh, of that era. Mm-hmm. They look at the young women today and they just are like so shocked at, at, at the way they dress and the way they behave themselves, um, having an amnesia as to how they were acting when they were that age. You know, they've, they've, they've cleaned it up in their minds and told themselves stories where they weren't doing these horrible, um, slutty things uh, back then that these girls, what they consider slutty, what these girls are doing now.
2: Uh, by the way, Ace Attorney Jim Coogan is joining us. We're going to bring him on in a little bit. I just want to finish up this conversation about Cleveland. Uh, this is one of my favorite themes, Monroe, the rewriting of history that people do as they get older. Uh, and I'm in that older category, and I'm watching it. which just I just smile at it so many levels. I, it was uh, rampant. I'm going to get in trouble for saying this again, but it was rampant uh, uh, in the height of the uh, Adam Toledo shooting. Uh, where just people in their sixties and seventies were clucking their tongues and saying, What about how could they not rein in the kid? And I'm like, I grew up with people who were in their sixties and seventies, spent all their Saturdays and Fridays running around, do getting into no good trouble. Exactly. Getting drunk, driving, yeah, right. yeah. yeah. Sneaking out of the house, climbing through the back. Don't act like you were little angels then. And then they always say, Ben, we weren't having guns. Well, that's just guns weren't prevalent back yeah, then.
3: Exactly. They, <laughs> in fact, we, even with the gangbangers, they had um, those homemade guns. I forgot uh, what they called, called them back there. But where you literally, sometimes they were shooting bullets uh, with a rubber band.
2: Yeah.
3: Uh, I forget what those things are called. It's slipping my mind now. But anyway, th- there were a few of those around. But mainly they were using chains and switchblades to try and kill each other.
2: And, and by the way, I wasn't doing any of that. I was sitting at home at night watching TV and Mary Tyler Moore show, but I'm just saying,
3: I was, ch- I was chasing girls. That's what you <laughs> were doing.
2: Yeah, we all know that. Gosh. All right. So before we uh, bring Jim Coogan in Monroe, no ducking, no dodging. If you lived in that district, would you vote for uh Chantel Brown, Jim Clyburn's candidate, or would you uh, vote for Nina Turner, Nina Turner, AOC's candidate?
3: I, uh, Nina is a little too too uh, fiery for me at this point. We're we're we're, we're we are we are we do not need that. I don't think. So I don't, I don't know anything about Chantel Brown, but uh, because Nina Nina was a Bernie broad, <laughs> uh, she lost me somewhere or, uh, with the sloganeering and what have you. Instead of having solid. Um, discussions on the issues,
2: ladies and gentlemen. I just want to tell you something. I knew Monroe Anderson. He was a hippie radical back in the day. I cannot <laughs> believe this is the same man. <laughs> I can't believe this is the same man. I would vote for Nita Turner in a heartbeat. Come on, Monroe, and I would talk you into doing it too. You would end up for <laughs> Nita Turner. I know your wife would vote for Nina Turner.
3: Well, you, you know, I'm I'm I may have played a role in Dorothy Tillman becoming an alderman. How so? Uh, Harold asked me what I thought about her. He he thought she was too much Nina of uh, a Nina Turk Tur- type, and so he he asked me what I thought as a reporter covering mm. City Hall. Yeah. And I told him that um, I liked Dorothy, and she would bring a little little sauce to the the City Council.
2: Well, she did that. Yeah,
3: I know, uh, exactly. And, uh, and so that's why, I, that's another lesson.
2: He didn't like her. That's a whole other story. We could do that. But here, I remember yeah, I know, Quay, he like her, he called right. her a thoroughly unlikable human being, or something like that. And uh, All right, let's bring uh, Jim Coogan in, Ace Attorney Jim Coogan. And uh, from Dwyer and Coogan, uh, he's our uh, legal mind on the Ben Jarofsky Show. Welcome back, Jim.
0: Good afternoon, Ben, Monroe, D-Nice. Hey, How's doing?
2: Uh, D. Nice. Yes. Uh, All right, Jim, we we've we got a whole bunch of legal topics we want to run by you. But let's start with the Bill Cosby uh, case. Monroe and I have not gotten around to talk about it. We spend so much time talking about politics. Uh, Bill Cosby, it looks as though the story is just breaking. Uh, We'll be let out of prison. Is there are there any updates, Jim, that we should know about since we've been on the air in the last half hour or so?
0: I don't think there's anything new other than the the decision itself coming out. You know, like maybe there's something about when he'll be released, but I haven't seen anything um, beyond the the news about the decision itself. But yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's, I think for legal observers, it probably isn't surprising on every level. I know that there was an intermediate appellate decision that affirmed his conviction in the past but this was the Supreme court for Pennsylvania. I think that's what they they might call it something else there. Um, But basically, yeah, the the, the primary reasons that this was overturned had to do with if people recall from the trial and the issues that were raised a couple of years ago when this happened, there was kind of a complicated history. It, It was something where there was a 12 year statute of limitations for the, for the sexual assault. And it was right up against that 12 years. But years ago, there had been some kind of a conversation, and apparently an, an, not a written recording about this this agreement, but some agreement between the prosecutor and Bill Cosby and his attorneys, that they would not prosecute him if he agreed to testify in a civil case regarding these issues. So, again, I, I still don't quite under, I have to read, I haven't had a chance to read it, and criminal law in Pennsylvania is not the primary focus of my practice. (laughs) It is still an interesting question. And these kind of things, you know, there's a a separate one we can talk about in a second, the other issue. Um, But it's strange to me. I didn't understand at the time how it was uh, understood to be reliable when an agreement like that wasn't in writing in some fashion. But then again, prosecutors make agreements all the time with defense attorneys All across the country, and a lot of it is just happening quickly, and they don't, I I imagine that's probably what happens, they don't reduce these things to right. And and, and, and what what happened was you got a different
3: prosecutor.
0: Correct. Right. So so you have a new person who has a different opinion about it. Exactly. You you get to prosecutorial discretion, and I think that there must, there's probably a discussion about that in there, because ultimately, uh, beyond the agreement on the Cosby side of it, in other words, him relying upon it. You also have the hey, this is a new elected official who may see the case differently. Why would freedom to to prosecute the case as they see fit? But I mean, I guess you know, at the end of the day, it's it's you're always. I mean, any of these decisions are balancing the rights of the accused. They're balancing the rights of all people who could be accused of crimes at some point in time, and they're looking at what you know the impact on the victims is not primary because they're not really they're not technically a party to the case it's the people of the commonwealth of pennsylvania um but the other issue is probably more uh prevalent actually it is definitely more prevalent because this came up in the harvey weinstein prosecution and that is modus operandi evidence so if if the other thing that happened in the original prosecution for cosby is the first trial ended in a hung jury and in, in the second trial, the judge allowed multiple witnesses to testify ex- about experience that they had with him using drinks and possibly drugs and witnesses that felt like they were either recalled or, or thought that something had happened while they were in a stupor or out of it. And
3: one would imagine that that would have a pretty powerful impact on the jury. So the yeah, because there's women that didn't know each other and. They accuse him of the same M.O., basically. Yeah, which sounds like, you know, that's extraordinarily powerful
0: corroboration. But, you know, you get back to the question of, well, these aren't these weren't the crimes that he's charged with in that case. And so there's always there are. (laughs) This is something you learn in law school about criminal prosecution when they use evidence like that. When that's the kind of thing that tends to bleed over the line into character evidence, which is not generally admissible because, you could just kind of put on all kinds of questions, things about the person's bad character and you'll hear it in murder trials where somebody will say, Hey, I'm not saying this guy's a great guy. He cheated on his wife, but at the same time, that's not the same thing as murder. You know, it's always an uphill battle for a defense attorney when they're dealing with a a person who just isn't very likable or who is kind of a bad person outside of just that accusation. Um, So I think that was the other big primary basis for the uh, conviction being overturned that, that it went too far in this case, the judge allowed either too many witnesses or too much content for each witness's testimony about other situations.
3: Mm. As
0: the
2: okay. uh, go ahead, Let me ask
3: you a question, real quickly if there were 58 women that accused um, Cosby of these sexual advances and rapes and what have you, um, there are other jurisdictions. Do you think that there may be another trial? He can't be tried in Pennsylvania. But couldn't he be tried in New York or Arizona or someplace like that? Uh, I don't even know if he
0: couldn't be tried in Pennsylvania, but for how long ago any of those instances occurred. Yeah. I mean, this this ruling would only apply to this conviction. I'm not sure how contemporaneous. And I mean, he's about 80 now. I know he's getting up there. 83. Okay. So, you know, I, I'm not sure how long ago, you know, th- that would be my first question or first thing I would look at to answer your question is where's the statute of limitations for any of these other potential victims? Well, or, if he did two
3: a year uh, of the 58, <laughs> he could be as a re- recent as say 2018 or 2017. I mean,
0: the statute, sexual assault statutes are pretty long. They're the yeah. second longest thing generally after homicide. So, it, he, yeah, I mean, to further answer your question, there may be other chargeable crimes in other jurisdictions, even in other counties in Pennsylvania or wherever that those prosecutors put in the bag because guys already in jail and he had a 10 year sentence. So it doesn't mean that he's out of the woods. If there are other uh, crimes that could be charged within a statute. Absolutely.
2: Uh, So I got a a confession to make here, uh, Jim and Monroe. Uh, and I'd love to get Monroe's response to this more as the uh, the baby boomer here. Bill Cosby, aside from these legal issues, uh, is one of three of my favorite people in the world that I had to drop. <laughs> and when I say favorite people in the world, like artists that I really, uh, do I say idolize? I don't know. There was this uh, era, uh, Jim and Monroe, in the late 60s, early 70s, where I just thought Bill Cosby was the greatest funniest guy, the coolest guy. And I know it's hard to think of him as the cool guy because he went in a different direction in the 80s, but I thought his comedy in the 60s was great. He was a, a so called I Spy. Uh, he did a lot of movies uh, that I thought were great. And then of course, there's Woody Allen and Michael Jackson. Uh, now I'm ashamed to say I liked any of them. Uh, probably Bill Cosby at the top of that list. So Monroe. Yes. Most people uh, are going to view like, they'll listen to the Jim Coogan's explanation as to why uh, Bill Cosby is going to be let out of prison. And they go, well, he got off on a technicality.
3: Yeah. And that
2: what really matters is that he committed these crimes. And it's just there's something wrong with our system uh, when you are, you you could uh, avoid punishment and accountability for the wrongdoings that you did because you manipulated. That's, I'm just telling you how people are going to see it. Uh, our system to get out. Do you view it that way, Monroe?
3: Uh, yeah, he got off on a tech. Uh, but, but as far as being a fan, I was, I, I was never a major fan of Cosby's. Although I did like the Cosby Show when he was Doctor Huxtable. But I, as a student journalist at Indiana University, he played there, and I tried to get an interview with him, and he just waved me off. And I took it personally.
2: Well, that's why you didn't like <laughs> him. Right. No, I I
3: I, I I I I had interviewed as a student journalist, I interviewed the Fifth Dimension, um and, um and and a couple of other major stars like that. Yeah. And I was anxious to get him and he just waved me away wave, and he shook his head. And so um I, hear I, started, you. I would I hold that. Against attention. Him I was seriously a Richard Pryor fan. And he was lecturing Richard about using curse words. Yeah. And, um, I mean, the curse words were part of Richard's uh, craft. By the way, total tangent.
2: Total (laughs) tangent. and I just have to say, you mentioned Richard Pryor. Uh, I'm going to send this to Jim Coogan. All young people should watch this. They took the Ed Sullivan show. Uh, for the la- Ed Sullivan show had a variety hour TV show, a mainstream television in the 50s and the 60s. So people like me and Monroe grew up watching Ed Sullivan and um, they gone through the Ed Sullivan show and parsed out like a thousand hours. I want to say of different acts and it's on YouTube. And I I spent I hate to say how many how much time I spent Jim Coogan on Sunday watching old clips of the Ed Sullivan Show. But there was a Richard Pryor appearance, Monroe, on the Ed Sullivan Show from, like, 1971. Blew my mind that Richard Pryor went on. There was no, this was TV, this was CBS. This was as mainstream as you're going to get. And And it was live. It was live. He did a performance where he did, he he went into the, he stood there. Uh, he was a junkie at one point and a wino at another point. He made fun of white people at another. He did his white man accent and I'm like, God damn! I can't believe he got away with this. Oh 1971. Yeah. So anyway, a tangent with it, a tangent.
3: Well, that was when he was making his shift from because, before, you know, he was showing up in a suit and tie, yeah, and trying to be like Cosby actually, yes. Initially
2: and not doing a good job of it. Right, exactly. Because uh, that's not who he was. All right, Jim Coogan, the question to you. Uh, do you see this as um, avoiding uh, punishment and accountability on a technicality, or do you see this as showing how strong our system of justice is? In America? Uh,
0: well, look, I mean, my, my inclination as a lawyer is to say. I don't know if I really believe in the, I, I I don't like the phrase he got off on a technicality because I think it's usually I mean, look, not everybody has the time to sit down and like look at all these issues. And I know I know that's not why Monroe's saying it. He's saying it because he believes that if the guy is substantively guilty, that it doesn't make any sense for him to be out of prison. I, I, I hate that phrase just because it's too glib. You know, it just kind of like glosses over, hey. If you're ever convicted or accused of a crime, you would want the system to actually protect you from what the government's able to do and bring to bear. But then again, that gets in once you start having that conversation, now you're also talking about, well, that doesn't really apply to every defendant does it because a guy like Bill Cosby's got a lot of money to spend on his defense and, and do those systematic protections really apply to everybody else? So sitting here on my high horse Talking about the majesty of the law and the, the the good parts about the Fifth Amendment protections against self-incrimination, um, or modus operandi evidence, or or whether or not the, the this agreement should apply. It's easy to do in the abstract, you know. So I, I guess there's a lot of concepts that come in to answer your question. Do I get to do a little Cosby nostalgia too? Since you guys said, go ahead. I mean, I, yeah. I grew up. I mean, you know, I'm a different generation. I grew up watching the Cosby Show. So it was kind of like kind of blew my mind when it got, when this stuff started to come out, whatever it was six, seven years ago. I mean, and I am old enough to remember we would, as a family, we would rent tapes of Bill Cosby's like family friendly stand up act or whatever it was. And listen to him in the car driving around. We th- I thought it was hilarious as a little, yeah. I was whatever, 10 years old or something like that it was great. It was better than listening to grown up music that I didn't want to listen to. So. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of, I think it's hard. It is a weird thing. I totally understand where you're coming from then when you're trying to reconcile someone who you thought you had every reason to respect. I mean, Cosby probably even more than, there was always some unusual stuff around Michael Jackson, but I mean, Cosby, I don't think anybody really had an understanding or a belief that this is what was going on, which of course is one of the things that the victim's lawyers and the plaintiff's lawyers representing some of these victims were talking about is that's what he used to his advantage, it wasn't just—it wasn't even just wealth and power and celebrity. It was also the fact that he could garner trust because these women see him as this father figure because that's mm-hmm. who he was on television for so long. And so he could help their yeah, careers, and he can help their careers. Yeah, right. Entertainment connection. So there you go. But oh, that's that hard um, yeah, I mean, so technicality. I don't know. I hate. I, I guess to me, I always want to go a little step further and figure out what it was. I think these are legitimate things that the court should have pause about when it comes to how cases are prosecuted in pennsylvania but um you know i I don't know how strong it really is because i didn't go through the whole decision
2: Uh, all right so i'm going to ask monroe this question and uh we'll see how uh, jim coogan handles it in your humble opinion uh what is more outrageous monroe anderson (laughs) yeah uh O.J. Simpson walking around uh, free, Bill Cosby potentially walking around free, or Donald Trump having never gone to prison. Which is more outrageous, Monroe Anderson?
3: Okay, before I answer that, let me give you some breaking news. Donald Rumfeld just died. Oh, hey. that is breaking yeah. news, Donald right. Rumsfeld. Okay. <laughs> now, back to, back to your question. Mm-hmm. Um, Trump. Trump, Trump, Trump. He, he's, he's attempting to kill democracy. He's responsible for hundreds of thousands of Americans being dead because of the way he handled the pandemic. He lied about it and didn't do anything. So, and, and if he got back in, 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 in office, um, thing one he'd do is. Um, <laughs> make make sure that Biden got indicted on something or another. Uh, and, and then he'd do all kind of ugly things to all kind of people of his enemies. I mean Nixon had an enemies list that he didn't operate off on that hard. Trump has has already uh, gone after his enemies list and he's doing it right now. And if he ever got back into power, or Katie Bar the door. Yeah.
2: I'm actually with you on that one, Monroe. Uh, and O.J. Simpson did prison time. They're still chasing him. I don't know if you guys follow this stuff, but they're, uh, the the families are still uh, chasing O.J. Simpson to get their civil verdict, uh, the money out of him on that one. And he's got lawyers blocking it. So uh, in in many ways, he's a mark man. I think Bill Cosby will... I mean, obviously, his legacy is shattered, and right. uh, but Donald Trump has never, as far as I know, uh, faced any consequences. And this goes back to his days, you he know, as
3: discrimination so, with his daddy back back in the seventies. Yeah, when they when they was discriminating against black people, not renting them properties.
2: So and, it's outrageous. They
3: they 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 worked that one out some kind of way.
2: Uh, so before I officially transition to Donald Trump discussion, uh, Jim, do you have a position on that? Uh, who, what's more outrageous?
0: Well, I mean, you know, if we're talking about people in positions of power, manipulating that to avoid prosecution, uh, OJ's crimes were violent crimes. I'm pretty I think everybody pretty much agrees that he actually murdered his wife and, and Ronald Goldman. Uh, Sexual crimes or sexual crimes, those are pretty violent as well. And Cosby, if it's true, if you know, Monroe's got that number, that's a lot of them. I mean, this is probably, there could be hundreds of women. Who knows? Yeah. Trump's are more broad-reaching, or they weren't until he became president. You know, he manipulated the prosecutor in New York for years. Wasn't that one of the stories that came out? His son and daughter were going to be prosecuted, and somehow his lawyers went over and talked Cy Vance out of it. Ten years ago. I mean, so his his financial crimes in New York that we have lots of at least public evidence that have probably happened, um, have cheated people out of whatever. You know, if you're a taxpayer in New York, you've been cheated because you paid more because he paid less. Yeah. Um, but now, of course, as Monroe pointed out, that the bigger deal now is since the ridiculous and incomprehensible rise that he's had since 2015 <laughs> to being a national political figure in this country means that the damage can certainly be more widespread. If, for example, he's not held to account for any of the things that he has done, which hopefully you know the irony of having this discussion today is that at least his company may be indicted as soon as tomorrow. If that's really true, that's the that's the rumor that was spread this morning. Um, I mean, you know, I haven't seen all the evidence that exists, but just knowing everything that the way their business operated and the way he behaves, like he's some kind of criminal boss, frankly, I'd be so shocked if there wasn't actually some sort of either bank or wire or insurance fraud or tax fraud somewhere baked into that system. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, obviously that would, and that would be part and parcel to the frauds because you're hiding that money or you're hiding its source. Um, and you, that always brings us back to the discussion of why would anybody do business with him? So it would make total sense that the money would be coming from somewhere else because he's always sued people. And even Monroe mentioned it, and you guys are just touching on that issue from the, uh, the department, I guess it would have been housing and urban development or whatever, whoever it was yeah. the for discrimination in the 70s, that, that we've had that discussion before. I mean, that's, he countersued them. I mean, this yeah. was it's the most insane thing ever. And you know whose idea that was? Roy Cohn, the guy who he wished all his other lawyers would act more like mob lawyer Roy yeah. Cohn who didn't take notes conveniently. You know, like all these things, just, it comes back to, to answer your question about outrageousness, I guess, it, you look at this particular individual and so many things that he does are just so, they're dripping with criminality constantly. You well, just can't really believe that there isn't some actual crime that's happened.
2: Ah, uh, part of the homework assignments that I gave both of you uh, this week uh, consists of sending you an article from The New York Times uh, that gets at the the way the tactics of Donald Trump for years and years before he was president, where he used the law, I think they use as a club uh, to bludgeon his opponents, his enemies. He would file lawsuit after lawsuit. And he's still playing that game. And Jim Coogan and Monroe, I think it's catching up to him. I believe that he may have overplayed his hand. It's a current lawsuit. He filed, Jim, why don't you tell folks a little bit about it uh, get Monroe's comments on it after that a lawsuit that Donald Trump filed against, I think it's the city of New York regarding his oversight of a golf, a municipal golf course in New York city.
0: Right. So he's got, he's got a golf course in the Bronx, I believe. Right. And um, so the city had a contract with him, to, let's see, I think it's a $30 million. Basically, he had gotten a contract with the city to to allow use of the course, and he spent money on the course in order to comply with this contract. Based upon his ill repute, based upon their desire not to do business with somebody who incited a riot against the Capitol, Bill de Blasio canceled the contract. So instead of just letting this go, Trump in his usual um style is counter suing and or is suing them over the loss of this and calling it a an illegal breach of contract and of course he's his ranting and raving is about that this is politically motivated um but you know i think there's probably arguments to be made that it doesn't necessarily mean like it's automatically in the best interests of the city to have this contract in the first place so this is his but of course now if he does follow through with this um there will be a discovery process. They'll go into finances for where the, how they paid for these improvements. What do you really spend? Like, who knows? You know, he he's the kind of guy who will spend nothing and then present you a bill for $6,000 or, you know, like, or not paying the contractors that actually did the work. I mean, he's had dozens and dozens and dozens of groups over the years have sued him for non, not performing contracts as the recipient of services that he never paid for.
2: Yeah, uh, and so the irony is by him filing, going on the attack and filing the suit against New York City, then New York City can turn right around and sick its lawyers and the Donald Trump and sick its accountants into Donald Trump and ask him some questions under oath about, as Jim Coogan was pointing out, uh, his business dealings, and it could end up exposing him to, uh, I don't know what, Monroe potential uh, Liability, criminal prosecution, whatever, uh, lying under oath. I think it's a really dumb move on Trump's part. Your thoughts, Monroe?
3: Yeah, Trump. Trump is no genius. I, I, I know you never thought about this, but trust me, he is not a genius. He he has a reptilian brain, <laughs> and so he he strikes, you know. But he 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 is not. He's he plays tic tac toe in, in, in a three dimensional chess game, so he's going down. That's 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 my prediction <laughs> that they're going to get him this time, because he the difference was before he's a sleazeball um, construction person in New York, and everybody knew or learned that he couldn't be trusted. I. Uh, the reason he has uh, this 85 year old lawyer now is because he can't, who, who was once a good lawyer, but his time has come and gone basically. And that's because he can't get the, the ATV like to have because nobody wants to work for him because he screws the lawyers. He doesn't pay them. And uh, you know when you, when you charge a thousand dollars an hour or something like that and putting in hundreds of hours then you don't want to get short cheated, as Trump will do.
2: Yeah. So I, I uh, well, we'll see if he gets indicted tomorrow. We'll be watching that one. Probably convene a oh, no,
3: show. Tomorrow as Weisenberg gets it tomorrow. Not oh, he tomorrow. gets
2: it tomorrow. Yeah.
3: Trump is later. They're, later. They're, 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 I think Jim would agree with me that they're just building a case.
0: Well, yeah. The, even the all the there's been all kinds of stuff, rumor and innuendo into the press about whether weisselberg is cooperating or not you know my thought is i think it's good that i've heard legal commentators say things like well if he's still going into work he may not be cooperating with these prosecutors but i don't really know if that's true because he could be going into work and downloading files (laughs) 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 but seriously though as long as he's not being locked out then he's going to have access to whatever and look you know you both you guys know this because you're you're You've got enough world experience and and wisdom to understand there is going to be very limited evidence of anything that Trump actually did because he doesn't write things down, he doesn't use email, he doesn't use text messages. He works like an insulated mob boss. That's how he ran the Trump organization for 35 years. So whatever is there, it's you know it might be harder to find. It might be something that you'd have to go grab a couple things or make some photocopies or get a, get a flash drive and grab some other corroborating things because he's going to deny all of it. He's going to pin it on his son. He's going to pin it on his other son. He's going to pin it on Alan Garten, Weisselberg, whoever, whoever else he can blame and say, Hey, I just signed whatever they put in front of me. This wasn't my idea. That guy must be off. You know, whatever you saw him getting those benefits, that's probably cause he was screwing me the entire time. I didn't even authorize him to live at <laughs> that you know penthouse apartment. That was his idea. I didn't do any of this. I won't respond.
3: You know that's going to happen. Oh, and what a liar! They, except they have uh, Jennifer Weisenberg, his, his former daughter-in-law. I mean, she wants to cooperate, right? Yeah, yeah she's she j- cooperating. Corrobor- you got Cohen corrobor- corroborating. I mean, there are people talking. But
2: By anyways, uh, just so people know, who, uh, who, are, utterly, who are not uh, utterly obsessed with this, like uh, Jim and Monroe and myself, uh, the Alan Weisselberg in question. I think he's the chief accountant, isn't that what he is? Yes, for Trump's organization. I'd never heard of the dude before because I'm not like a Trump expert until Michael Cohen. Yeah, I think Jim, I you were on the show right after Michael Cohen gave his testimony into Congress, and Cohen was just like pounding it. He was like, talk to Alan Weissenberg. He'll tell you. He knows. Weissenberg knows. He was like, because Cohen was about to go to the uh penitentiary right. and he made a decision. He was going to take Trump down. He'd made yeah. that decision. Well, and he was the he was, one.
3: Yeah, he's upset. He's upset with Trump because Trump didn't offer to help him. And before that, Trump Trump would not have these problems if he had only given Cohen a job in the White House somewhere he he could have been dormant <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know uh, <laughs> Cohen was his faithful puppy dog for 10 years and then he, he just kicked him to the curb yeah
2: <laughs> yeah so that's the first time I ever heard the name uh Alan Weisselberg and it came out of Michael Cohen's mouth and now Cohen is probably really happy right now uh that um Uh, that uh, Weisselberg may be the one uh, to spill the beans on uh, Donald Trump. All right, uh, Jim, originally I brought you on the show. Uh, I wanted you to get your thoughts about the Supreme Court and its rulings, and all these other things happen. And, and I said, Ah, oh, the hell with that. We'll put the Supreme Court at the bottom and uh, yeah. just have a limited discussion on it, though. It's pretty Im- important stuff. I don't mean to minimize the Supreme Court's rulings. There's two one coming out tomorrow. I want to say uh, having to do with campaign finance reform uh, and um, oh, I think it's gerrymandering uh, tomorrow that the Supreme Court is supposed to rule on the The initial coverage of this of the Supreme Court, and this is the with the Supreme Court with the three judicial appointees from Donald Trump, was that it was surprisingly moderate. I guess uh, is the word I would use, uh, Jim and Monroe. That it was it was not as uh, far right as uh, Donald Trump or MAGA had wanted. Uh, Jim Coogan, is that your assessment so far? That it's. Uh, moderate or do you think that they're overplaying that
0: well i think that the a lot of times um the public perception or the discussion about how hardcore to the right and to the left the supreme court is um it it can get confused because there are cases that can confound those usual ideological lines so there's some cases that kind of cross over and and maybe just you know so you look at and you think well that really wasn't the most extreme thing in the world or Uh, Maybe a decision is joined. It's a seven to two decision, but there's three concurrences. And so the actual holding isn't really extreme. And, but a couple of the concurrences, if somebody bothered to read them and only legal scholars and, 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 you know, legal wannabe scholars really read this stuff because it's dense and they're 50 pages long and there's lots of technical stuff in there. You might realize that the voices of these justices actually are pretty strident or would be, willing to bring back doctrines that have been long dormant and actually are kind of extreme. But, you know, when it comes to this particular term, I think you and I were talking a little bit about this. I sent this to your attention and I'm sure you saw it anyway. One of the cases that is probably could have, I think a very wide reaching uh, impact is the California labor rights case. It's called Cedar Point nursery versus Hasid. And this actually goes back to, some of the the most basic tenets of the labor rights movement with with, uh, like organizing field workers who work in the fields that grow so much of this country's produce, Um, the basic question was if there was a California regulation that allowed organizers to go into these fields, now they were restricted. They could either go before work, during a lunch hour, or after the day was over. So one of those three times and there was a limitation on how long they could stay there. They'd have to leave if they went on the lunch break and the lunch break was over. They had have to get out of there um, and where they could go. There was like designated places that they could go pursuant to the regulation. And the question was what this was, the lawsuit was filed against the state of California on the issue of whether this was an illegal taking mm. of the property of the farm owner. Now, Organization of labor like obviously requires that that they go somewhere to meet with people who are doing that work. Lots of times laborers, particularly migrant farm workers, don't know their rights, don't understand that they could organize and possibly get a better wage, better benefits, um, and they don't really know how to accomplish this stuff unless they're actually talking to somebody who would help them from whatever that union would be. So honestly, I think it's a pretty reasonable balancing of the rights of the workers and the owners to say look there's got to be a time frame that they can cuz yeah. going and finding them at each of their houses not efficient not going to work you know it's not as if the union has unlimited resources to go find people so finding them at work is the most efficient way to do it uh, now the and the reason why i say this can be wide reaching is a 6 to 3 majority of the conservative the you know quote unquote conservative justices ruled that this is a per se take And just the fact that they're going on the land means it is a taking for which, Now, here's the other thing that could be an escape clause here, a taking for which the government, one thing they can do in any of those situations is compensate the business for that taking. So either the state of California would have some sort of, you know, statutory thing that they would pay to business owners to allow labor organizers to come on their their property, or the more burdensome way to do it would be the, the labor organizers would have to pay for it. But the bigger issue here, and why this could have a pretty wide-ranging impact on all kinds of government regulation is, if you look at the language, and actually I I did read the dissent here from Justice Breyer, who identified all kinds of, his concern was, this is not strikingly different from all sorts of other government regulation that requires investigators and parties, even if it's not actually a, a government official, to come onto property to do things. To inspect things, um, you know, other labor regulations, health and safety regulations, um, police and fire inspections, that what happens with the rest of those things when other types of businesses sue the government and use this as precedent yeah. to say, hey, listen, get out of my property. I don't want you here. I mean, how yeah. you, well, at some point you can see an entire regulatory scheme breaking down on the question of, well, do they have to get compensation for it? Does... To the, to the regulations have to be written in a way that constrains the regu- regulators more, and otherwise, it's an infe- you know, suddenly it becomes an infeasible thing to actually enforce um, any number of things that are supposed to govern business operations. And of course, we've talked about this concept before. I always think it's a lot easier to be a conservative when it comes to the philosophy, the philosophical way that you're going to run a government, because it's easier to just tear things down or in this case, if this decision creates all sorts of havoc and, you know, it screws up government's ability to do its job, eh, whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, if you're a hardcore conservative, you don't believe government should have a job doing anything, let alone regulating businesses in the first place. So the risk is nothing. What do you care? It doesn't matter. I mean, until, you know, people start getting poisoned or or burned alive and things because the regulatory systems don't work anymore. Um, so, you know, to, answer, to partially answer your question about how uh, right-wing this court is willing to go, this is a decision that that will unify the hardcore right-wingers and the pro-business uh, corporate lawyers who that was their job before they became a judge because it's something that they would believe in philosophically. And um, my concern is I don't really know how this is going to play out in the future. I mean, I'm, there are some other consequential decisions that you were alluding to. But this can be very consequential.
2: Yeah, no. I'm with you on it and I'm glad you uh, brought it to our attention. Uh, I just, my senses, and and I have this underlying uh, cynicism about uh, these justices. They're going to go against unions whenever they can. Uh, They're going to be very pro-capitalist. I don't know what else to call it. uh, Whenever they can. They will be very much restrictive when it comes to abortion. Now, will they overturn Roe? I, I don't know. That may you know, John Roberts, very political justice that may cause more problems for the Republican Party than they want. And if, if you can accomplish the same thing with a handful of rulings so that it effectively abortions outlawed in all red states in America, then why bother? Uh, so I, and so that's what you got on one hand. And then the other hand, they said, oh, athletes for uh, college athletes can get paid. And everybody's like, whoa, man, they're so liberal. I'm like, I don't know. I think it's overplayed with this. I think, like, oh, my God, that one, they're they're milking that one decision, Monroe Anderson, to make themselves look like the second coming of Thurgood Marshall. And I think it's overplayed. Your thoughts, Monroe Anderson?
3: Uh, Abraham Lincoln uh, killed slavery in 1863. (laughs) And so now the Supreme Court has made it it uh, is dancing on its grave, show, we say? The idea of having slavery, because those kids were working for nothing. Yeah. They were the ones bringing these millions and millions of dollars. You had coaches making five million a year, and the the star of the team can't even sell his jersey to somebody without being penalized for it.
2: Yeah. So it's an about time ruling it's exactly. about freaking time. Right. So stop patting yourself on the back for a ruling that should have been made 30 years ago. I hear you, Monroe. Uh, I uh, will be watching these uh, rulings. I think uh, tomorrow, like I said, there'd be two more. Uh, we're going to close with this a little uh, Bill Barr levity. Uh, one of the homework assignments I sent the two of you was just an excerpt from an article in Atlantic. Monroe, I don't know if you got a chance to read that article. It's uh, It was obviously a, a reporter wrote who was very favorable to Barr and had access to Barr. You know how the game was played, Monroe. You were on both sides of it. Uh, and uh, he I played gave, and got played. You, yes, you played <laughs> and got played. I've just been... Played. I haven't done the got play. I haven't been the player yet, but uh, uh, my day will come, huh? But uh, anyway, uh, so Barr, it's pretty funny reading uh, I, and kind of frightening actually at the same time how utterly uh, insane Donald Trump is uh, and how manipulative Bill Barr is. Uh, And how fraudulent Bill Barr is and how he plays the game. And he uh, Cody, he totied up to Donald Trump for a couple of years, got all that power uh, that he was trying to that he was using to what put bring back America to 1950. I don't know what his ultimate goal was. Uh, Then ultimately he decided he couldn't go with Trump. Uh, on the election fraud I don't know why that was just too far for uh, Even Bill Barr So he gives an interview with the AP reporter Folks you gotta read this to believe it And he he gives one sentence Jim Coogan He just says one sentence that I don't believe the evidence supports the claims of fraud Something like that The AP reporter Rushes from lunch Runs over to his computer Writes the story AP sends it out That evening Trump called Barr into the White House. I mean, this this is like within four hours. And it is a, like a lunatic, you know, dressing him down. Roy,
3: Roy Cohn never would have done anything like that. Never yeah. would have said anything like that. That was the problem.
2: So, yeah, from Trump's point of view. So I guess that means that Bill Barr is, what, a little less evil than Roy Cohn? Is that a... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jim, what's your takeaway from all this madness?
0: Well, I mean, obviously when Barr said that back in December, the, of course the guy ran straight to the, the presses to get that out. Because, I mean, people like you or me were thinking, all right, well, good. At least the Attorney General's not going along with this insanity. I mean, it was it, it was reassuring. But I think this is what comments on your your point how terrifying this really is. Because, if he'd gone a different direction with it, who knows what they could have actually done. Yeah. Um, and I think what was, there was in the article or the excerpt that you sent, something about, you know, Mr. President, or this was November, I think. But Mr. President, you've got six weeks or something like that to deal with whatever you want to do. You should be strategic about it or something. I mean, clearly Trump was ready to go in the completely most insane direction and screaming and yelling at Bill Barr was part of that because he wouldn't go along with them. Um, I mean, it just goes to show this is another uh, insight into how that White House operated, how they viewed government, and how he obviously, Trump, he uh, doesn't, would never, I mean, to to the people who thought he might at some point understand the the guardrails or how things are supposed to operate or how you're not supposed to abuse power to exclusively advance your own interests. Of course he was never going to do that. It's just the most preposterous notion (laughs) for anybody who has like even the most, (laughs) the the little like wit of of common sense to think that he would care about any of these things or just, just, you know, along those lines, the notion that Bill Barr is not his attorney. He's working for the country. I I mean, it's, it's something that if I were like, this never happened, but if I were the president, I wouldn't even think about that. The guy somehow works for me. You know, I'd be afraid it would, It's like how I think the Biden administration is trying to operate. And I know this is what the Obama administration deliberately did. They stayed far away from those lines. They didn't bump up against them. They tried to actually have these ethical lines. And I'd be afraid. I'd I'd say, no, I don't, you know, maybe to my detriment or maybe to the administration's detriment to not having political influence over the way the DOJ worked. But they've got too much power to be used that way. And that was the problem. Like you said, he cozied up to Trump to do the things that he wanted to do. Of course he could manipulate the guy. It doesn't seem like it's really that difficult. World leaders did it in front of our eyes. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's an example of Barr doing another, uh, making another effort and using John Carl to do it to um, try to bolster his legacy. Although I guess if it's just commenting on Barr here, it's sort of funny to think that he would imagine and somehow people would think that this makes him the reasonable guy in the room right. <laughs> or, or the hero for democracy. I mean, if he had gone rogue and gone crazy to try to keep Trump in office, you got to hope that something else would have stood up and stopped that from happening. Um, he's no hero. You, you, I think you may have already said that today. But, yeah, it's yeah. it's
3: amusing in some ways and terrifying in others. Yeah. When I look at it, it was uh, Barr realized that he was being asked to jump the shark. That was just too far. He could he couldn't do that because that might have been the um, straw that broke the camel's back in terms of Congress going after him, big time. Sure, in his final days, and it, it wasn't worth it.
2: Well, one thing's for certain: we've seen with Bill Barr, he undercut the Mueller report. Uh, that's so obvious. Uh, all the three of us have had so many conversations about that, one uh, form or another, uh, down through the years. It's one of Jim Coogan of mine favorite uh, conversation. Uh, but at this at this juncture, for whatever reason, to your point, Monroe, he decided I cannot go here. I cannot uh, make up evidence of a non-existent theft of the election to justify the quote-unquote re-election of Donald Trump. That's just too far for me. And maybe he did it just because he was worried about his legacy. Who knows? Who cares at some point? He didn't do it. Right. Um, but, yeah, so, Jim, I'm not holding a parade for a Bill <laughs> Barb. <laughs> oh, Lord. But I, I urge folks, it's in the Atlantic, uh, and you, you can re- – It's it's definitely – You know, it's one of those uh, cozy up pieces where the reporter had access to bars. So he makes bar look like the second coming of uh, uh, who's the lawyer to kill a mockingbird? Uh, Jim. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
2: Atticus yeah he makes Atticus, him look like yeah. the second coming I was going to say Gregory Peck but then I realized well he oh. was the actor who played the uh, so Mars bar, mine in the Bill Barr movie Gregory Peck will play me even though they don't like <laughs> uh, all right Monroe Anderson uh, Jim Coogan thank you very much uh, this has been a delightful conversation I had a lot of fun doing it uh, and uh, we'll see you real soon all right
0: okay. as always guys
2: all right take care all right, that's Monroe Anderson, Jim Coogan. I'm Ben Jarofsky, and as Monroe and Jim Coogan will tell you, we got to give a big shout out. <laughs> oh, I didn't mean to say that. Hey. Shout out to the man, the myth, the legend who made this show possible. <laughs> and back home in Alton, as Monroe and Jim will tell you, they call him Doctor D. Give yourself a raise, take it on petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. <laughs>